0: Is The Talking Dead a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show The Walking Dead? Hi, my name is Chris, and my name is Jason, and this is The Talking Dead number 326, recorded on Monday, June the 12th, 2017. Welcome to the program, everyone. I hope this works out this weekend, Jason. Everything in my life is all screwed up because my main podcasting computer decided to go to its grave this week. Give it up to the ghost. Give it up for ghost? What's the term? I'm not sure, but it died and I can't use it. It, It's
1: a power source issue. It's always a power source. It's always the power source that fails. So replace the power source and you're good to go.
0: Well, I hope so. The thing is, it's a seven-year-old computer, so I think it might be time that it's just at its you know at its end and I need to move on and get something new. Well, get a new power source, use it as a server and get something new. Well, I could do that too, I suppose, but it's a 7-year-old iMac. I mean, it's a good computer. I've upgraded it a number of times, but I just I don't know. I mean, the new iMacs will be like four times as fast, five times as fast and and just be super awesome and have a beautiful big screen and I don't know. It's I'm just I'm just upset about it because it screwed up the podcasting, you know, schedule here. Uh, well, not really the schedule, but just screwed up my ability to sit down at the computer, hit record and, t- and go, right? Yeah,
1: things on the left are now on the right, uh, that kind of
0: stuff. Right? I've got two different computers going here to have you on Skype and record. And anyways, no one cares about that. They just want to hear us talk about uh, Fear the Walking Dead. Yeah, no problem. We can, uh, we can talk about that. I am pretty sure we can. Uh, first, though, I want to just take a quick call from um, Adam on the internet uh, about last week's episode so here's what adam had to say was no one else
1: bothered by or did no one else even notice the super zombie in the premiere episode it pulled a man through an air grate so hard that it snapped him in half backwards breaking his spine that's impossible even for a human to do and zombies aren't that strong it totally was out of place in the show zombies aren't like that in fear or the regular walking dead. I had a huge problem with this and I'm surprised no one else seemed to notice it. Thanks guys. All
0: right. Thanks Adam. So uh, I hope you could hear that Jason again, things are all wacky here, but um, good. Uh, So this is something I forgot to bring up last week when we were podcasting that one guy who, who's like packing up his stuff at the military base and then he hears something in the wall. So he investigates, he takes a grate off a whole bunch of rats pile out first. Yep which is nasty. No one wants to get that many rats all over them. Nobody um, wants to get a single rat on them from out of the wall. I'm, I Absolutely. But if there's one, it's better than if there's like 50. Yeah. Uh, but
1: then, you know, uh, in the grand scheme of things, at least it wasn't a rat king.
0: Well, yeah, but maybe that was the rat king through the wall because like Adam there said, that dude got pulled through the wall and snapped in half backwards, which I think looked kind of cool, but was really, really sort of ridiculous and as adam said maybe there was a super zombie in that wall (laughs) yeah or maybe it was like
1: six zombies pulling in series right like zombie one pulling on zombie two and zombie two pulling the guy through the wall i mean if you you know get enough people with a rope and doing a tug of war they're a lot stronger than a a single person so maybe
0: the zombies were cooperating in the wall tug of war which is also you know strange yeah a little bit tug of war uh, wall zombies. I I don't know. It, the whole, that whole scene, you know, despite the fact that it was kind of dumb that he was pulled through the wall. I just thought the whole scene was sort of dumb. Have this guy who hears something in the wall and what does he do? Like, you know, take the grate off, stick your face right in there. Wouldn't you be thinking maybe I should just leave and if there's something scary in that wall, maybe I should just run away really fast. I don't need to know what's in there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've lived in apartments that had uh, various animals living in the wall. Like there was a, a fireplace in one apartment that uh, was sealed off in the room I was in, but apparently it wasn't sealed off at the chimney end. So there was a family of something, probably squirrels, uh-huh. living in the damn, uh, like right
0: behind the wall in the uh, in the fireplace. Fair enough, though. There's one key difference, Jason. <laughs> you were like not there- living during the zombie apocalypse. No, but they could have been rats,
1: right? This is a pretty shady place that I lived. They very well could have been rats. And I didn't run away, but I didn't dig a hole through the wall either. Yeah, and, and it's just see- like, they're going to live over there. I'm going to live on this side of the wall. We're just going to pretend the other one doesn't exist.
0: Right. And you probably planned to move out as fast as you could. Uh, no, I stayed there about a year after <laughs> I knew about it.
1: But, you know, it wasn't as bad as the screaming raccoons living above the
0: uh, back porch. Sure. I mean, screaming. Were they screaming in pain or in gleeful <sighs> joy? Know.
1: Just every once in a while, there'd be one of them would just start screaming. I don't know what was going on, back there. <laughs> I didn't maybe, ask. Maybe they, were <laughs> they didn't s-
0: tell. Screaming in ecstasy. I hear raccoons do that occasionally. It very well could have been. <laughs> well, anyways, uh, thanks, Adam, for sending in that call. It was kind of dumb. You know, I'm not even sure what the point of the scene was. Really, that guy was leaving. They just needed to kill him off, and so they found a goofy way to do it. Uh, the rats didn't play a part later in the episode I don't think. And the zombies in the wall maybe were just part of the big crowd and that they had to fight outside later but I'm not I so sure.
1: At the time I'm glad you brought this up cuz I did forget about it and didn't realize uh like I thought about that being pulled through the wall there too was a bit annoying but what I was focusing on was the rats. There's a um uh, there was a short-lived role-playing game. I forget the name. It was done by the same people who do di- who do uh, Dungeons and Dragons. It was a post-apocalyptic, uh, like a futuristic post-apocalyptic uh, role-playing game. And one of the character types you could be is a swarm of rats. You are a swarm of rats that lives inside human clothing, and you just kind of what. Yeah, it's 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 kind of, it's a weird video game or uh, role-playing game, but you could also be like, was a swarm of something. You could be rats, you could be cockroaches, you could be just something, a swarm of something or other living inside a uh, human-sized clothing. Everything, you know, mechanically was exactly the same as if you were a human you could move your hands and arms and walk and stuff, but instead of being, uh, uh, you know an automaton where you could walk around. Yeah. Uh, you were a swarm of something that pretended to walk around.
0: Well, a swarm of rats is a thing in D&D, D&D, but this is something different.
1: Yeah. It's a, a different role-playing game. It was short-lived. uh doesn't exist anymore. There was only like uh one core rules and a couple of modules. Uh, I have them in a box somewhere because I'm crazy like that, but I forget the name of, what the hell was the name of that role-playing game? Anyway, Swarm of Rats. All right. Well, maybe- It reminded me of that. I'm like, holy shit, they're going to have a, one of the
0: zombies turned into a swarm of rats. Crazy town. Crazy. That's, that would be the scariest thing ever. All right. Thanks Adam for that. Uh, let's get into this week's episode and I'm going to say, luckily we have, uh, somebody who called in with a title read because I don't want to try to say it. So here we go. Teo Twaki? Thank you, Lee from St. Catharines, for that title read, because it is an odd word, the title of this episode.
1: Tio Well, I'm, I'm
0: not even sure Lee was quite sure, but.
1: Teo Twaki.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it was in the episode, and I think they pronounced it kind of like Lee did, but it is a difficult one if you're unfamiliar with it. Uh, so this is season three, episode three, and to me, this really felt like a bit of an informational episode.
1: do you know, do you know what I mean by that? uh it wasn't really plot driven it was more setting driven
0: yeah, it was a little bit more set up, establishing things, giving us inform- giving the viewers information about where they are now, what they're doing, how everyone feels, and it kind of was just to provide those details to set the scene for what was to come. It was an opportunity for us to get to know some of these new characters and uh, and and how the characters we already have are going to interact with them. Right. And I don't think that's a, a, a bad thing in any way, but it can be one of those episodes where it's like, okay, you know, here we are. We're just sort of getting the lay of the land. And, you know, maybe next week there'll be all kinds of, movement forward, not that there wasn't this week, but it's really just more establishing. It's like a bunch of establishing shots that they put into an episode, but it's establishing dialogue (laughs) and it's establishing, um, you know, just, just establishing of everything really. Right. So this was like
1: an extended cold open to next week's episode.
0: This was kind of the cold open to the rest of the season, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Just giving you an idea. But what, what did you think of it? How did you take this episode?
1: Well, I kind of agree with you. I uh, I was wondering how we were going to talk about what happened because, well, other than people talking to each other, essentially nothing happened. (laughs) I I mean, Strand almost
0: went over a wall into a pile of zombies, but he didn't because he talked his way out of it. Right, a lot of talking in this episode. Uh, But but I hear what you're saying. You know, this is a difficult one to sort of to really dive into because, well, we got information about. Uh, about the ranch. So let's talk about the ranch a little bit. We sort of get a bit of history on the ranch. We get some backstory on Jeremiah yep. and, uh, what he was doing pre-apocalypse. And it turns out he was kind of an ap- apocalypse prepper anyways, Yeah, in, in a way. Um, what did you think of those, uh, the, of the sort of, um, prep videos that we got to see him making at the beginning well, the of the commercial episode. for
1: the prep video. I'm kind of on the fence with how they did that. Cause they did it in a very, uh, deliberate hokey way. Like some of the cuts were obviously, uh, badly done. The fact that he fixed his son's bent wing was, uh, ridiculous because it was just like this... Like, you know, just moved it just like half an inch. There you go, son. Right. Now you can go and play with that. It's it's absolutely ridiculous that he would want to help that. And then he reached into his bag and you see the cut where, you know, one, the scene he's, uh, the shot he's reaching into his bag and the next shot, it's obviously the stack of videos did not come out of his bag. Uh, and it was <laughs> all grainy, like the 480p, which, you know, good times. From VHS, and, Sure. When we used to watch stuff in 480p and then when DVD came out and we all went, oh, that looks like the movies, you know? <laughs> right. So that's now. a
0: big step up between VHS and DVD. Of course. And now DVD looks unwatchable Oh me. yeah,
1: DVD would be a complete waste of time. Right. right. Like why, you know, why, why? You don't want that. No. <laughs> okay. So, uh, I thought on one hand, I find that, I found that in- incredibly annoying because they did it on purpose. Obviously it was, it was meant to be hokey. But then they make commercials nowadays that are in that style, that are meant to be hokey. They're tongue-in-cheek, and they're made to be very, very bad. Like, these people have no clue that they're making a bad commercial, like you're, they're doing it on purpose. You're,
0: yeah, you're talking about real commercials. Real
1: commercials that really do that. And that's funny, because it's entertaining. But this, I don't think they did it in order to be funny. They did it in order to seem
0: like this is a low-budget commercial. Uh, yeah, I think they were doing it in this episode to make those com- those low-budget commercials feel authentic, right? He made those back in the 80s or whenever it was, or 70s. And yeah. within the context of the episode, you were supposed to believe that that's what he was really doing, and it was authentic for the time period. Yeah, but I didn't believe it.
1: Oh. Like, I knew what the... the- you know, the producers and the director and the creator of the show was doing was making that hokey on purpose. I didn't buy it. I didn't like it. I knew that the, the, that kind of style is coming back and it all just kind of came together and went, uh, just didn't sit right with me. That, uh, uh that style of commercial just, it just didn't quite sit right.
0: All right. But I think the and point it, of my
1: it... fault, I'll take it as my fault.
0: Right. I, I think the point of it though, was to, to to not really make you (laughs) buy into that style of commercial, but to give you what you needed to know about Jeremiah, about what kind of guy he was, you know, the last 20 or 30 years. And most importantly, later in the episode, when Madison starts going through his tapes and she sees, you know, what happens after, after the take is done and the guy is really mean to his family and he's just a, he's just a giant prick and he's almost abusive to, to his family. And that that informs Madison's opinion of him a little bit, right? Even though that was years in the past, I mean, what else does she have to go on? So, yeah. I think that was the point that we we just learn more about Jeremiah, and it allows the character of Madison, and it allows us as the viewer the ability to kind of project forward and think, well, where's this going to go? What's this guy guy going to do? How's he going to react? And because some people just don't really change that much. And so if that's the kind of guy he is, well, maybe this, this Brookjaw Ranch isn't quite the happy, friendly place that we might hope or think it is.
1: Well, he's got a, he's got a temper, right? I and mean, he's got a bad side and, uh, you know, he's mad at his wife, then wife, because she's an alcoholic, obviously, mm-hmm. and, uh, hates his kids, uh, uh, you know, takes it out on other people. He's not a nice man. No. You know? somebody could be very nice to you and be perfectly, Uh, you know, a great guy or a great girl and you go to a restaurant and they're shitheads to the waitstaff, they're not a nice person. Oh, I hate it when people are like that. Yeah. So, you know, uh, but then again, you hate to judge somebody by the worst thing they ever did, right? So just because he had this bad day, maybe, and he was an asshole to his wife, and he was a dick to his kids, and he was a shithead to the director, uh, (laughs) it doesn't mean that, he's necessarily a bad guy. It's just how often does this happen? Is this a normal thing? And the, uh, you know, which, uh, which part of his personality is the outlier, right? Is right. It this thing that just is just a one-off, like we all have bad days. We all have moments where, uh, you know, we wish we weren't such assholes to somebody else, be it someone you love or someone you don't even know, uh, really. So, or is the being nice, the outlier, where he's normally like this to everybody, but when he first meets you and wants something from you, he's that nice person.
0: Yeah, we don't really know yet. We're just, but that's what I mean. Like this episode is giving us those little elements of his personality so that down the road, whatever happens, we can project back at the time and go like, yep, he was an asshole. And so this all makes sense. Or what he's doing now I guess he wasn't really a prick and that was sort of just him having a bad day.
1: Yeah. And it's important to realize that, uh, people that run these kinds of ranches where they, uh, they, uh, sell spots to preppers, uh, exist. Like you can, you can buy into or invest in these kinds of ranches where they will give you space to store food. And, mm-hmm. uh, when the shit hits the fan, you can move there and, uh, be part of their community.
0: Right. And, and that's the other thing. We, we found out that many of the people there had been there before the, the apocalypse, which at this point still isn't all that long, right? Even if it's just a few months in, yeah. um, we, we find out that they've been there before. So this was an established sort of gated community before any of this happened, which probably gave them a pretty solid advantage, you know, when the zombies did start roaming the earth. I would think so. So the the ranch has been there a little while. It's run by a guy who may or may not be an asshole. Um, but we do know that he has one son who seems to be a giant asshole and one son who seems to be a really, really good guy. Right. That nobody listens to. That nobody listens to. <laughs> but, you know, um, Jake does seem to be able to keep his brother in check, at least to a degree. Now, I have a few feelings on the two of them here there's a scene where um where jake is talking goes to troy and he's telling troy to like leave the clarks alone right don't bother madison yeah and he says to him something like what if the people at the ranch knew what you really are and that's a pretty interesting line i thought because you know it sets up a whole well what is he obviously but we have no idea at this point, and it seems like there might be some sort of secret there.
1: Is this serial
0: killer? You think so? He's an act. He's an actual. Or, or is that? Are they referring to what he was doing at the military base, just well, killing that, innocent that's
1: people? That's part of it. Yeah. He uh, now he has the uh, the means uh, by which he can kill people and be uh, semi justified for it or semi accepted uh, for it. Uh, Yeah, instead of having to do it in secret, like Dexter, and, uh, oh, spoiler, Dexter's a serial killer.
0: (laughs) I don't think Uh, that by itself is a spoiler.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, and killing people and getting rid of their bodies, now he doesn't have to do that because he has a justification for killing people, even though it's a morally uh, reprehensible one in our eyes. Sure. Uh, But, you know, given the atmosphere that he lives in, the other people in uh, in that area accept or some of the people that know accept what he was doing.
0: Do you think it's specifically what he was doing at the base, or is it just in general that he is kind of a psychopath who in- seems to get some pleasure out of killing innocent people?
1: No, he's, uh, he's definitely a psychopath that uh, if there was no zombie apocalypse, he'd be doing it more clandestine. Uh, you know, in secret, instead of
0: being as open as he is now.
1: This just gives him a justifiable outlet for it.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, I I can see that. I I don't know about the idea that he'd be doing it anyways. There's pretty strong societal pressures not to murder other people. Now, granted, if he's a psychopath, those don't mean anything to him, but I don't know if he's full psychopath or just part, (laughs) if you can be just part, I don't know. I don't
1: know, but I think that, uh, he's, uh, you know, he has the serial killer tendencies and now he's been given an outlet.
0: Sure. Sure. And, and, and the people there don't know. So that's the secret. I, I was thinking it might be something bigger or something more to it than just that, but I guess that's pretty big. You, you don't want to be aware that you're living with someone who could snap and murder you at any moment. Yeah. Or
1: is plotting to because he thinks it's fun
0: yeah exactly so what about uh what about jake then yeah the, uh, i feel like jake and troy are just two polar opposites you, We have got the one guy who's the total serial killer crazy guy and and then there's jake who just seems so eager to help and so straight laced and so on the right path that he's just totally the opposite and that almost makes me suspicious of him a little bit like why is he so eager to help madison and make sure they're comfortable and, you know, everything's hunky dory there.
1: I think you have trust issues, my friend, because I thought, you know, they are polar opposites. They are different sides of the same coin. Uh, but, uh, I, I believe him. I think he's, he, he's, uh, I think he's being a stand-up guy. I think that nobody listens to him and he's got yeah. definitely a, a Cassandra complex going on. Someone who can tell the future, but nobody believes them. So he can, you know, he can be the, the voice of reason all he
0: wants. If nobody listens to him. He's, you know, castrated. Sure. But I think it's a little one note for now and, and I'm hoping they'll expand it and I'm willing to give it a pass because I do think there's probably some intrigue with these characters here. It's just, we have the one guy who's like all evil and the one guy who's all good and it feels a little bit on the nose. So if they, if they bring them both closer to the center in that gray area a little more, that might be a little bit more interesting. But for now, for me, it just feels like they're a little bit too far on each side of the spectrum.
1: Well, they both, uh, they have the same father, right? So, uh, what's his name's their father, but they have different mothers.
0: That's something else we learned in this episode that they're not, that they're only half brothers.
1: Yeah. You think they're both, their mothers are n- named Martha.
0: <laughs> Jeez. I hope not. Although if they, if they are, maybe it'll be the thing that brings them together.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, I would think so. And then they can, uh, they can team up with, uh, Wonder Woman slash Madison.
0: <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> there you go. DC Universe in a nutshell, everybody. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um. So, anyways, what we learned about Jake and Troy is that they're half brothers and that they're on opposite ends of the uh, spectrum of morality. And you know, we'll see. We'll see where that goes. Um. I also feel like though they may be tr- the show may be trying a little hard to set up a conflict between the two of them. Because I can see this playing out as the two brothers' butt heads more and more as it goes on, and I get the feeling, personally, that what they're leading towards is some sort of situation where Jake is forced to choose between his brother and his family and the Clarks, basically Madison. And so, you know, they're, they're putting this kind of rift between the two brothers, for the purpose of, you know, drama down the road a little bit, which is okay. But I feel yep. like what I'm seeing right now is kind of, that's where it's going and he's going to have to choose. And that's going to be a hard decision for him, even though he knows his brother is a crazy person and he's probably going to fall in love with Madison.
1: <sighs> let's hope it's a little more complex than that. That seems kind of obvious. And uh, one note, like you say, let's hope, uh, let's hope they bring in uh, the rest of the court.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It uh, I, I totally agree. It's definitely one note. But I mean, that's the one note I'm seeing right now. And it's a good thing. I don't write the TV show. Uh, yeah, it's a very good thing. Um, OK, so one more. Well, quickly, we also learned in that meeting near the beginning that it does sound like they do intend to go and find out who shot down the helicopter, which is something that we sort of thought they might just move on from.
1: I thought for sure they were going to gloss over it. But the first thing they said was, let's go find out who shot at that helicopter. I think, okay, let's go. I,
0: we're, no, we're already doing that. <laughs> I think Jeremiah actually says they're going, they're going to scout the crash site. And then Troy mentions something about payback. So yeah. again, Troy, he, he's out for revenge. He wants to go and find out who did this and get back at them. So that yeah. sounds like it's going to be a thing as the season uh, rolls on a little bit. Which I must yep. admit, I'm kind of okay with. Like, I'm curious too about it. Who shot it down? And I, I really hope they don't encounter Tra- zombie Travis or even even his corpse. To be honest, I just I just want him to be gone. And just gone. And and you know that's tough for Madison and tough for everyone else in the family. But it's I, I just kind of think it's unlikely that they'd they'd find him.
1: Yeah, he's gonna show up. Zombified or corpsified, uh, I don't know. He might be impaled on a tree and be a zombie rawr, rawr, and just kind of, oh, isn't that sad? Stab him in the head and he move on. But, uh, yeah, I really, you know, now that you bring it up and that they're, uh, I know that they're looking for the, the shooter, mm-hmm. uh, I'm pretty
0: sure that Travis
1: will show up again.
0: I don't know, man. I, I'm kind of with you. I just, I just hope they don't, uh. I I know it sounds cruel, but I kind of like it better that Madison doesn't get that closure. She has to come, be able to come to terms with the loss of her husband without being able to, you know, physically kill him or physically bury him or, or whatever. Right. Because that's, that's the reality of the zombie apocalypse. Someone might go out, you know, out on a run or fall out of a helicopter or jump out of a moving car and you never see them again. And that's what you have to deal with. So, you don't always get that moment. I feel like of reconciliation with someone who's gone or yeah. you know what I mean. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, and it's, it's, it's the way of things that, uh, that we as humans like when somebody dies, they're gone. They're gone. Like, they don't, they don't come back. That's the bad part, right. Being able to having them come back. So that's, uh, that's the bad part of being in the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. So, uh, it'd be nice if, uh, she could just consider him gone and have to, you know, come to terms with that. But, uh, I don't think Madison's going to run into him. I think some the other, the, somebody else is going to run into him.
0: Well, no, I think it's, it's a TV show. So I think if anyone finds him, she'll be there to give the, give the, for the, for the dramatic purposes of the show and, and, and stuff like that. I don't think it, I think it'd be weird if, if one of the brothers or Jeremiah was out and they found him, you know, Jeremiah wouldn't even know who he is. He's never seen him before.
1: Maybe Nick. Nick could find him. Yeah,
0: maybe, but then Nick, you know, Nick and
1: uh, he and Nick have a you know uh, a special relationship.
0: Nick and Travis. Yeah, don't they? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, stepfather. So kind of. Yeah, you can be close to your stepfather, but of course, I
1: think maybe Nick will find him. I don't know if Madison will.
0: Well, I I think if Nick finds him, Nick would be compelled to like rope him up and lead him back somehow, and say, "Look." Mom, I found your dead husband. Uh, don't you feel better now? And I don't well, want that, that to happen. happen. No, no, thank you. I don't know. Anyways, I, 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 ultimately, I'm just interested in the fact that they are going to find the helicopter and figure out who it was, if they can, and, and I guess get some payback. Um, it does feel like a kind of a way to introduce another group or an enemy um, or something like that for or this, uh, to threaten Brokejaw, uh, yeah. ranch, you know? Absolutely. Okay. Well, let's talk about Alicia. So Alicia, her storyline, this episode gets her involved in what she thinks is going to be a Bible study group with some uh-huh. of the other teenagers at the ranch, but it turns out they just like to get together and smoke drugs and, uh, talk to a severed zombie head in a birdcage. Yeah. So well, first of all,
1: if uh, I were in a situation where I just met a bunch of people who I knew uh, generally disliked the fact that I was there because I didn't buy into the, the bullshit beforehand, uh, and they were walking me through a wooded area and they, found, uh, they opened up a hatch into the ground and said, you first— I'd be like, you got to be fucking kidding me. There's not a chance to hell that I'm going first.
0: 100% agree with you. I had that very thought while watching. I was like, there's no way you go in there first. Maybe you follow them in. Maybe. Yeah.
1: But yeah, come with us. Yeah. And they all go down there and you're left there standing. You know, I'd follow them down because, you know, I'm a conformist. But, you know,
0: you first, I'm like, bullshit. (laughs) Totally. Totally. But she goes in. She does. And they come to a room where they hang out and do Bible study.
1: Yeah. And talk to a improbable, uh, zombie head because that zombie head was cut right below the chin. Uh, that zombie head did not have
0: a larynx. It could not make a sound. Was it making sound? The yeah, episode? it was making, and it's like, oh, it asks you where you're from. Maybe it was just, Jeffrey. Uh, Jeffrey. Wasn't his name Jeffrey? Uh, yes, it was Jeffrey. Maybe it was just gnashing its teeth together. making No, noise. it was making
1: zombie sounds. But it didn't have a voice box, and how without lungs? How do you move air through your voice box to make sounds? Mm. I don't know. But anyway, uh, this zombie head was make maybe you know they built a, they found an Arduino and they put in some sound effects in his in his skull because you could dig out a cave right and then put in an Arduino in there and put in a little battery pack to make zombie sounds.
0: A uh, a computer on a circuit board, everyone, for anyone who doesn't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can do that. A and microcontroller, yes. Absolutely. A little microcontroller and, uh, you know, power it, give it a couple of
1: speakers and uh, yeah, you don't need the brain for anything, right? Well, I guess you actually kind of be careful because if you, you know, poke the brain too much, it just dies. Right. Uh, shit, this is a tough problem. I'm going to have to think about it.
0: All right. Well, you you work on your, uh, <laughs> your ro- robot powered zombie head. I probably just it. cut the zombie's head off below the voice box and then hook up some bellows. Right, because you still need lungs. Anyways, I, on one hand, thought this sort of storyline and these scenes were a little bit goofy uh, to have teenagers sitting around getting high and talking to a zombie head. But on the other hand, I sort of liked it because, and, and it's funny, it's the things about it that made me think it was goofy are the same things that make me feel like I kind of liked it. Because on one hand, I think having the zombie head there at all was a little bit of a ham fisted way to just get information flowing from these people. Like you said, oh, Jeffrey asked you where you're from. You know, it's 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 instead of just having the characters talk to each other, they have this like you're holding the conch now and you can talk and it's the zombie head in the middle that's enabling them to have a conversation. And I thought that was a little bit a little bit goofy. And it might've been better if they were just talking naturally and information came out organically in their conversation. But that being said, I thought it was entertaining and I did like the idea that these kids tell all the parents or the adults that yes, we're going to do Bible study, but really this is what they do.
1: Yeah. Cause kids are going to you know, teenagers are going to be teenagers and they're going to lie. And if you can lie uh, about going to a Bible study, Uh, you know, why not? You know, they're going to leave us alone as long as we say we're doing, you know, scripture. Sure. And we're sitting down there reading scripture and listening
0: to religious records. Do they have those? (laughs) Of course. religious records, right? Oh, tons. Religious music (laughs) is a huge industry, I'm pretty sure. Well, not just
1: music, but some kind of record, right? Like you put on, like you put on comedy records. I assume that they have, you know, various sermons that you can put on a record. Oh, okay. Maybe. Uh, I I assume, I assume. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, so what I liked about this was, uh, other than the larynx thing, I like the zombie head idea because I think these kids who have been behind the the fence since before the zombie outbreak, they don't know what the world is like. So the fact that they have this uh, just kind of speaks to their natural curiosity for uh, a world that is out of reach to them and what the world is, but it is, you know, in a sense, out of reach to them. So they want to, uh, you know, take a piece of it to better, you know, understand what's going on. Yeah. So the fact that they had this head, I was perfectly fine with that. Um, uh, you know, the conch thing, it would have been better if they just put the thing on a lazy Susan and played spin the Jeffrey and they spun it around and whoever, you know, whoever he was facing at the end had to answer a
0: question like truth or dare, but with a spinny zombie head. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, see, I, that would have been fun. That would have been fun. I don't, I don't mean that like it was the same idea as, um, Lord of the Flies where, yeah. Where whoever was holding the shell, it was the one who got to speak. But I just feel like it was a prop that was enabling conversation.
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, no, but I was fine with that, right? Because it, uh, I was okay with them having the prop because it made sense to me that they would have this prop. Yeah. So the fact that they used the prop is fine. Also, from so you know, it's the fruit of the tree. So the fact that they had it is fine, and it makes sense that they would kind of. Uh, make it into a bit of a joke, like it makes a noise and you go, oh, it's asking you, uh, what's your favorite color? You know, like you know, Jenny and I do the same thing with Jasper. You know, he can't quite talk yet, but he makes noises, right? So, uh, you know, you say things like, uh, oh, he said, mom, can you please change my diaper? Mm -hmm. And that's when, you know, I make him say that because, you know, he doesn't speak for himself. So you can use that as a kind of a prop uh, to communicate. So I, I was fine with it.
0: Yeah, and and what it did is it allowed Alicia to talk a little bit about killing people right she yep. she says that uh what does she say I forget I killed a man well I killed a man what did she get into it was wasn't as hard as I thought or something like that I, I don't remember yeah. now but the point is she she opens up to these kids a little bit and we learn a little bit about the autos as well because she asks about what's the deal with this place yep. so um yeah I mean I I enjoyed it I <laughs> maybe it'll become like the fear the walking dead zombie confession booth sort of thing. Well, it's a where- version
1: of the three questions, right. That, the, that, that Rick has for the, uh, you know, what did you do or, you know, who, how many zombies have you killed? Yeah. How many people have you killed and why it's the same thing, right? You meet somebody in the zombie apocalypse. It's still like, uh, and they're curious as to what the hell's going on out there. So they ask, what's it like out there? It's like frigging crazy. I had to kill a guy. You know, it's, it's chaos out there. You don't want to go out there. And she's curious about what the hell it's like in here. So she's like, what about those guys? Those guys seem kind of weird. It's like, well, they're the founding family. And we listen to them because they got the, the food and the guns and the power and the helicopter. Well, not anymore, but
0: they had the helicopter. (laughs) They had a helicopter. That's right. No, but I just don't want it to become the Fear the Walking Dead, like video zombie head confession booth where on reality TV shows, someone goes in the closet and they talk directly to the camera and explain their true feelings. We don't want true feelings to only come out when someone's sitting with the zombie head with Jeffrey. Um, It was good once. Maybe you'll be okay again if, if we see the kids go to Bible study again, but overdone, it might be, it might get a little tired, but for now, for now it's, it's kind of good. And it fit with the tone of this episode um, in which we were kind of just getting caught up speed on what was going on here. I
1: hope that they don't uh, ever show the inside of that bunker again. I hope that if it ever comes up again, it's just saying, oh, we're going to Bible study. Uh, see you later, and they go off, and everybody knows exactly what the hell's going to happen, and then they come back later. Like we don't need to know what's going on there. Yeah. Uh, one of the things uh, I've been watching. I'm not going to spoil anything, so I'm just going to say that right out, uh, right out front here. But we've been watching season three of uh, Fargo, and one of the things that I like most about that show, especially this season, is they don't treat the audience like idiots. Like they lead up to something, and then they show you the aftermath, and it's perfectly fine because we all know what happened, right? Yep. You don't necessarily have to show it. Yeah. That's a so, Coen
0: brothers thing for sure. Yeah.
1: So now, uh, I think that, uh, they can just, you know, we have the euphemism, we're going to Bible
0: study and everybody knows that's what that is and they don't have to show it anymore. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. We don't need to go. We don't need to go down in that, uh, in that, uh, bunker anymore. Um, all right, Jason, before we get to Strand, uh, let's just, I would just want to talk about Madison a little bit more. You know, she's, she's really become the central focus of this show. I think her and her family, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, but she's, in my opinion, really the main character at this point. And I think they did a lot to show or, or give us information about how Madison is going to approach this situation at broke jaw ranch. I really feel like she is trying her best to be friendly and fit in. Um, but have sort of this plan in her back pocket, always ready to go. Um, if the time comes right. And, and what I mean by that is just a plan to take over the place. Or, I mean, she said last week to make this her home, but I kind of believe she would, she would do whatever needs to be done. If, if something here goes wrong and that could be flee or it could be take over the place. But for yeah. now, she's really trying to fit in and uh, and and even assert a little bit of dominance over people. Like when she comes into her cabin and Troy's there in the bed and before he goes, she makes him make the bed again. Yeah, that was great. I thought that was an amazing scene and it said so much about her, you know, um, that was made this morning. So you better fix it.
1: Yeah, and I thought that was uh that was very it reminded me of uh Negan. You know, how he would make someone carry Lucille in order to assert dominance over someone. Yeah. She's starting down that path. I still think she'd be an awesome bad guy. So I think uh I think that's great. I agree with you, but I'm looking at it from the uh the darker side of the coin.
0: Right. She's gonna turn into into a real bad guy, just who wants I hope to dominate I don't know if She will, but I hope. Yeah. Wow. Well, I don't know Um, anything else in this episode about Madison. I I think it's really just, you know, she's, she's clearly trying to gain a little bit of power in, in this community and it's going to take some time, but it's little things like make the bed, (laughs) but I think, I think it's a brilliant little thing. You know, that's why I liked it so much. It was good because other shows wouldn't pay attention to that. Like it was weird that he was in the bed to begin with because it's someone else's bed. And you almost get the feeling like he was trying to do that to assert his own dominance in the situation. It's like I'm in your bed; that makes me better than you. But then she turns it around on him, which was great. It's good. So
1: and I, I have one question before we leave, Madison. Sure. Why in the wild, wild world world of sports would Jeremiah bring her into uh, that? area underneath his house to show her, uh, what did he call it? The pantry. Oh, um, right. So show him all where all the food is and where all the guns are and how to get through the doors and the fact that it exists. It's just like, how much of a moron is he for, he's smarter than that. He's built a, a, a prepper community. He knows better than to bring random strangers into, uh,
0: you know, the sacred place of where you store all your shit. Mm-hmm. You know, I hadn't really considered that. I just sort of thought it was him introducing her to all of their supplies to tell her, to explain to her how, you know, how comfortable they can be here. Because look at how much stuff we have. But you're right. She's she's essentially a stranger to him. Yeah. And she's, and he's taken her down into the, to the inner sanctum where everything is. Yeah.
1: It's a typical stupid bad guy. Next, he's going to be wearing a cape and start monologuing. (laughs) Right. And then just put her in a situation where he assumes she's going to die and then closes the door and leaves. Yeah. Right. So it, it just, it seemed kind of ridiculous to me. Like nobody would like, sure. You want to brag about stuff and bring people into an area where you would say, like, look at all this stuff that I have. Uh, but in this situation, like he said earlier, right at the beginning of the episode, they're on a, you know, they're on a war footing. And they just, this people, these people you just met that were, uh, his son's cattle, uh, like half an hour ago, uh, all of a sudden show up in the compound compound and which he knows full well that she put a spoon in her son's eye in order to get her way. So yeah, sure. Come on down here. This is where all the food is. Uh, sorry, hope don't look the other way while I type in the combination, but, uh, here's all the guns on the rack. Uh, okay. Here's the, the big iron metal door with all the bullets. That's exactly where that is. Oh, uh, yeah. I need a key for that. I keep that right on my belt loop right mm-hmm. here. Uh, in case, uh, yeah, just ignore the fact that I keep
0: that on my belt loop. You know, it <laughs> just, it just seems kind of ridiculous. And I take a nap every day from two to 4, <laughs> 4 PM and I hang the keys on the doorknob.
1: Yeah, it's right on that hook right through, uh, you know, it's on the other side. I have this, uh, uh, you know, this cage that I close, uh, but I hang it on the hook and, uh, luckily there's some pool cues just on the other side of that with that, uh, you know, that rake thing that you can hold, you know, where you to hold your cue for hitting right. balls that are really
0: far away that, uh,
1: you could probably use that to get that off the hook, but you know, don't.
0: Don't do that, please. No. Yeah, don't do that, please. No, I hadn't thought of that, but you're absolutely right. It doesn't make a lot of sense that he would take her down there. I just sort of looked at this scene and thought, okay, well, they're setting up the scene again. They're setting the stage. They're here's, look at all the stuff we have. They need the audience to know that there's this massive pantry below his house, just chock full of goodies
1: unending pantry because did you notice the lights were on uh uh, some kind of artificial delay in order to like click click (laughs) oh my god how many lights do you know that go on that way
0: like even in really big rooms they all go on at the same time electricity is pretty fast that way
1: yeah so it goes click 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 (laughs) click and we cut away before it ends right so this is an unending uh, you know, it is the, uh, the room where they put the Ark of the Covenant at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm sorry. I just spoiled Raiders of the Lost Ark, but too bad. Uh, you know, it's just that this massive, uh, unending, uh, you know, infinity room of, uh, supplies and guns and, uh, I assume the porridge. It's so all funny. Those, all those pails full of porridge.
0: I guess lots of stuff, all kinds of good stuff. The fact that is that it goes on forever, though. So this is a pretty valuable room. I would, I would say so. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's so funny though. You see that that light effect in in movies all the time. It's just, it for some reason it's more dramatic to light up the lights, you know, with a, a second delay or something like that. But I yeah. noticed it too, and I also noticed, boy, that goes on a long way. <laughs> This is an awfully large room to be underneath a house. Yeah. Like you this know, yeah. this this is the basement of the vehicle assembly building at uh friggin' Cape Canaveral. It's pretty big. Oh yeah, that'd be pretty big. It would be. That is
1: a big friggin' room. It's actually uh climate controlled because if uh they don't have proper climate controls and this has happened, it has formed clouds and it rained
0: inside that building. Well it's the it's the biggest indoor space in the world, you told me, right? It is. Yeah. That's an amazing fact. I love that idea. So they have to keep the air temperature and humidity all consistent so that it doesn't rain in the building. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's weird though. But, uh, anyways, uh, huge bunker under his house and just chock full of stuff. So this, it seems like this community could just survive indefinitely with that much stuff. And, and I guess um, that many people like producing more things too, right?
1: Well, that's the plan, right? You know, grow crops, uh, raise cattle, uh, self-sustain, and eat porridge. ability and, you know, lots and lots of guns.
0: <laughs> there you go. Uh, okay. So let's talk about Strand. So one thing I like about Fear the Walking Dead so far is they are doing a really good job and the, you know, Walking Dead had this problem, or at least from my perspective, they did, But Fear the Walking Dead is doing a really good job of balancing the characters a little bit. I know we got a lot less Strand than we did Madison and her family in this episode, but I feel like it was just enough. It kept us interested in what Strand was doing. We didn't see Strand leave the hotel, and then we didn't come back to him for two or three episodes. We got enough of him on the road and doing something. And so I think, I think this show is doing a great job of, of balancing that. And I have to commend it for that. But what Strand is doing is, well, we don't know exactly, but he shows up at this guy Dante's place and Dante appears to be some sort of former business associate of, uh, Strand and Thomas's. Remember Thomas? Yep, I do. So after having a little trouble getting into the place, cause I guess Dante has, um, a network of guards. Uh, down below his tower (laughs) or whatever it is he lives, lives in. Um, but ultimately Strand gets in there to talk to him. It seems all friendly. And then as you said earlier on, Strand almost gets thrown off a dam. Was that a dam? It was a dam. But is that, is that like the backside of a dam where, where it's, it's got walkways and I don't know, sections that go into the concrete. So That's the water—the exactly waters was. on the other side of the dam.
1: The waters on the other side of the dam. Yeah. Okay.
0: So they're on the
1: back. I don't think side it was of... a big dam. It was just you know a moderate-sized dam, your typical everyday dam.
0: I don't know. It uh, seems it like didn't... a pretty big dam.
1: Well, yeah, but you know dams are generally kind of big. They don't, you know, it's not like a bunch of beavers built this thing, and it's just like okay, we got a difference <laughs> of like four feet. No. It, you know,
0: but it's not a big dam, but it's it's not a small dam either. Right, I guess. If you have any dam questions, I'd be happy to uh, <laughs> answer them. <laughs> Yeah.
1: Uh, okay. Did you know that the uh, the fun fact? The uh, uh, the concrete at the center of the Hoover Dam has yet to fully cure. Yeah,
0: and it was built like seventy years ago or something, right?
1: Yeah, it's crazy. They invented hard hats for that damn thing.
0: Damn thing. <laughs> Zing. Well, the Hoover <laughs> Dam is a modern engineering marvel, and I hope to go visit it someday. Um, Me too. But you're right. It's it's an interesting thing. But Strand. So. So what's going on here? Like w- this guy felt double crossed at some point by him and Thomas?
1: No, he just doesn't trust him. It's like once a thief, always a thief. You stole stole from Thomas or stole from that other guy. Uh, I don't trust you. Uh, why he, you know, wanted to show him throwing a guy off a, a dam into a pile of zombies. Because that's essentially what happened. And I, then once he started sinking in, I'm like, ah, he's going to show up under a dumpster later. Betcha.
0: No, he's not because he was a mystery character, but...
1: He he sunk into the pile of zombies. Did you notice that? That was funny.
0: I didn't really notice. He he landed... I, I just thought he... We saw him land on this pile of zombies and he was still clearly alive, but it looked like he fell an awfully long distance. Now, I know human bodies are pretty soft.
1: They're pretty soft. But
0: I, I, I just got to figure he landed there and like broke all the bones in his bodies. So he... Just had he probably l- broke his back. Yeah, you just know? had to lie Ouch. there and get eaten. Right.
1: And his both his arms because they were tied behind him? Was that right? You're tied behind him anyway. Uh I'm sure he was mortally wounded, but he
0: wasn't dead. Okay. Uh until the zombies, so you know. He had the worst of him. both worlds there. Thrown off yeah. a dam, landed, lived, and then got eaten by zombies. Yeah, it's a pretty shitty situation for that guy. <laughs> pretty pretty bad. But but why is Dante going to throw Strand off? Just to just because he doesn't trust him. And this is what he does. He throws people off dance, I guess. Uh, I mean, he, he, he asked to, no, no. He asked if, if Thomas uh, died thinking that strand loved him and strand says, I did love him. Right. And that seemed to be sort of what made Dante change his mind a little bit. So I, I kind of get the feeling that Dante had a good relationship with Thomas Who knows? Maybe a romantic one. And there was a jilted lover thing going on here. I don't know. Uh, But ultimately he decided not to throw Strand off and instead put him in a cell. Uh, Do you think, Jason, that there will be some sort of conflict between these people and the Brokejaw Ranch people? Will they ever come together? Or is Strand just going to make his way through this and move on?
1: I have no opinion on this. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, it could. It's entirely possible. Uh, this could be the uh, group of people that shot at the helicopter. I don't know how close they are. They're uh, in proximity. Yeah, it's uh, hard to tell right now. I don't know either. Yeah, it's a crapshoot. I don't. I don't know the answer.
0: Well, we'll have to wait and find out on that. I'm not sure. But the big thing is the final scene of this episode when Strand is in a cell and someone hands him a canteen of water through the bars, and lo and behold, who is it? But Daniel Salazar, who we thought was killed in the fire at the vineyard in Mexico. Oh, you assumed he was alive. No, I assumed he was dead. No, no. I mean, in this episode. Here. Okay. Well, this is the question for you. Is he really there? Is he alive? Or is Strand hallucinating him? I think Strand's hallucinating him. You think so? I do. So Strand needed water. I assumed,
1: now I'm questioning it because it's logical that he- could not be dead.
0: Yeah. We didn't see him die. We didn't see the body. I purposefully did not go on the internet or watch AMC's Talking Dead after this to, um, for fear that they would talk about this and reveal whether or not he was really there or if Strand was hallucinating. So I don't know because I wanted to pose the question to you and find out what you thought. Clearly you thought he was not Truly, there and Strand was just having a hallucination because he was frightened or dehydrated or whatever. I wasn't sure. Both options occurred to me. I have a feeling though that he's he's alive and he's there and he's going to rejoin the cast. Sad.
1: I hope that doesn't happen. No? I hope he's a
0: hallucination. But that, but like a one-time hallucination, or are we? No, gonna- no,
1: he can you know be the whole through the whole run of the show. I don't care about that. I just I hope he's a hallucination.
0: So you want Strand to be walking around and have like his imaginary friend Daniel with him some of the time.
1: Sure. Yeah, that's, that's fine. I mean, <laughs> lots of other shows have done that. That's that's fine with me.
0: I know. It it has happened a lot. I'm not so sure I, mean, I like that
1: idea. It can, you know, it can bring great joy to my heart, much like uh, Battlestar Galactica, you know, with uh, Dr. Zayas. <laughs> yeah. Gaius Baltar, sorry. Gai- Gaius Zaius. Baltar, yeah. Dr. Zayas is... Uh, Planet of the Apes? Planet of the Apes, that's the one. There you go. Uh, Gaius Baltar (laughs) and uh, number six. You know, that's kind of, it brought great humor to the show. I understand. You know, then you go back to Dexter where it doesn't bring humor. It's just very entertaining. Uh, so I'm fine with it. I, w- I would rather him be dead in a hallucination or an honest to goodness ghost because, you know, we have zombies, so fuck it. Let's have ghosts.
0: No, right? I'm not on board with that. I, I can, I can buy into zombies, but I do not buy into ghosts. So I want him to be alive. I want him to be there. I want him to be part of the show. Whatever he's doing there, we don't know. Is he with this community that Dante is running? Um, or is he snuck in somehow? Uh, who knows, but I want him to be there. I don't want him to be a ghost. Or okay. a hallucination. No ghost. Yes, hallucination. Oh, I could go with hallucination. You're right. I still don't prefer it, but I I would be okay with that. Ghost. No, thank you. Spirit. No, thank you. Um, uh, Bring,
1: coming back from the dead when they obviously shot a scene where he died is so soap opera that it makes me sad. And I would rather have it be a hallucination than that kind of sad state of affairs
0: okay and and in my opinion if he is hallucinating him i want it to be a one-off i don't want him to be following him around all the time you know you and i love the show moon boy irish show yep. but a kid who's got an imaginary friend and you see the imaginary friend great show i think it's hilarious it's one of the funniest things i've ever seen on my tv that will not work on fear the walking dead
1: no I mean, it can be done for great comic relief, but then you have shows like Dexter where it's not comic relief, right? Mm. It's an honest to goodness character that's helping, uh, guide, uh, a main character. And he was through the entire run of the show.
0: Sure. But the relationship between those two characters is very, very different and strong. In this case, it's Strand who like just met this dude and now he's going to be his like imaginary hallucination guide. I don't, I <sighs> don't. I don't think it's strong enough if it was like strands, yeah. brother, if it was Thomas, maybe, you know, I could see that because he had a real strong emotional connection with that guy. If it was his father, if it was his brother, if it was a family member, that's different, not a stranger that he traveled with for like a week and a half.
1: You make a compelling argument and you have won me over. (laughs) And
0: I would like to subscribe to your newsletter. (laughs)
1: Um, I now don't think he's a hallucination. I assumed he was. Yeah. But the fact that they don't have any meaningful relationship is pretty compelling.
0: They don't have no relationship, but they didn't have a a strong, meaningful relationship. Um, So a one-off hallucination. If someone is at that window and handed him water and, and strand turns and looks at him and he sees Daniel, but when he drinks the water, when he looks back at somebody else, I would be fine with that. Um, but I have a feeling that they're not going that route anyways, altogether. I'm pretty sure that Daniel is just alive and he's back and he's going to help strand escape. And then they're going to reunite with everyone at broke jaw ranch and, uh, take over all those infinite supplies in the basement. And then they'll live happily ever after. That's right. After they've murdered everybody else. They'll murder them all, live happily ever after. This'll run through season five, show will end. Yeah. We've just figured it out, out the whole thing. I agree. <laughs> there you go. So in general, I thought this episode was good, but oh, it- Oh wait, I got one more thing you're going to talk about
1: before we go to in general. Bring it up. Okay, so it was uh, Nick and uh, what's his name? Uh, Jake. Jake?
0: Oh, Nick and Jake went hunting. That's right.
1: Nick and Jake went hunting. And I wanted to bring up something that occurred to me when uh, Nick was uh, threatening to shoot Jake. And he said, I wonder how long it'll take you to turn. And he said, 87 minutes, Mm -hmm. based on my uh, age, BMI. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. Yep. So I wanted to, uh, actually chastise myself because last week, uh, when we talked about the fact that they were doing tests for determining how long someone uh, would take to turn, I said that, uh, I didn't want to know because they said that we would, there's no real way to find out. Right. Okay. So the thing is the way we found out that the, producers and the directors and the thinkers and the, uh, all the people in charge of the show uh, indicated that there's no real way to know how long someone takes to turn was that information was given to us outside the show. And I've been shitting on the showrunners for giving us information outside the show in order to explain something inside the show. And then I go and use something outside of the show and try and apply it as logic and uh, me not wanting to know that information. So I wanted to chastise myself for doing that, and I apologize. They never said inside the show that we don't know how long it takes to turn. These people are, you know, Jake is at least trying to find out, and the fact that he may know
0: Uh and that they're going to tell us is fine. Sure. I I don't believe that he has enough information to say definitively like with that amount of accuracy, obviously, but I think he just likes to be accurate. 87 minutes and that'll be yeah. me. Um, but I, I do kind of like the idea that, yeah, these, these, these people are trying to learn something and think they have some idea that they can apply to it.
1: Yeah. I mean the way, you know, the, you know, testing on unwilling human subjects is morally reprehensible. Sure.
0: But, uh, you know, writing it down the concept the concept is okay the execution is all wrong
1: yeah try and learn stuff but you know
0: don't kill people (laughs) fair enough yeah uh but anyways you made a mistake and you are are making good on it yeah
1: i couldn't have it both ways so i'm
0: I'm now on board with this and uh (laughs) it's all good all right um that scene though in general it felt like nick and troy i mean they had a little like Come to BFF moment there. <laughs> no, he yeah. he actually shot the dirt beside his head and then rolled off of him, and uh, they kind of both realized that they're both. I don't know what did they realize that they're they're both sort of questionable individuals at times, and and now they can know. be friends.
1: Uh, you know, maybe it's just a matter of you stood up to me, or uh, yeah. maybe you you destroyed something that I liked. Uh, and laughed about it. And that kind of thing I applaud because I like
0: to destroy things that other people like, like their lives well, and I find it entertaining. Yeah. I mean, Jake didn't want to let Luciana in. Right. And then Nick stood up to him over that and, and his dad had to step in and now they've kind of like had it out, had a little fight and, uh, Nick had the chance to kill Jake and didn't. So maybe there's some sort of, small amount of mutual respect there now. I don't know. Could be.
1: I know people that are argumentative by nature. Oh yeah. And they respect that in other people. Right. that, that, That they just want to be belligerent and argumentative. And if they encounter someone that stands up and is belligerent and argumentative, it's like, oh, well, we can be friends. Yeah, yeah. And argue or be belligerent to each other all the time because we find that perfectly socially acceptable.
0: That's what we like to do.
1: He's the kind of guy that likes to, uh, wear, uh, a Leafs jersey at a Ottawa Senators game just to get, get into arguments. This, you know, a person that does this? I know a person that had did that.
0: Right, 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 right. (laughs) I wouldn't do that because I would, uh, well, I couldn't live with myself if I ever put an Ottawa Senators jersey on. So I, I... Wouldn't be able to do that. Or a Montreal Canadiens jersey. Oh my God. But he
1: was wearing a Leafs jersey. So, you know, at least there's that, right? Yeah, but But he he... was at an Ottawa Senators game in in Ottawa.
0: Would he wear a Sens jersey at a Leafs game in Toronto? No, no, he's a Leafs fan. Okay, fair enough. I, I don't do it to antagonize people. I would do it because I cannot wear any other hockey jersey. It's just who I am.
1: But would you go with a group of people that wore like a Leafs jersey?
0: Well, I'd be wearing one too.
1: I know, exactly. But would you... Go to an Ottawa Senators game wearing a Leafs jersey just so that people would yell at you and you could yell back.
0: No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. I, my, yeah. my, my reason for wearing the jersey is not have anything to do with wanting people to get angry with me. Yeah, not at all. I well, wore. That, that's why he would do it. I wore a Leaf jersey to a Detroit Red Wings game when the Leafs were down there. I did the same thing in Pittsburgh. So I put a Leaf jersey on my kid in Pittsburgh. <laughs> and yeah, then you know what? We just, had just her. Like not you, just her? I don't know, both of us. Like,
1: okay, good. So you weren't just throwing her to the wolves,
0: right? <laughs> no, it it does help though, walking around a foreign arena with uh, a kid. Um, people are less likely to be mean to you. Okay, well, that's nice. A little bit, some people. <laughs> See, having kids is useful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, after, at the end of that game, the, there was an uh, older couple in, in the row in front of us and the lady stood up and said to me, you're a really good father. I liked how you were talking to your daughter about, game and uh uh teaching her about it and respecting it. And I was and it made me feel really good. I was like, that's thank good. you. I don't, you know, I'm not here to be a jerk. I'm here to enjoy the hockey game and I want her to have a good time too. So yeah. Well that's nice. That was really nice. Okay. Um is that it are we good to uh to yeah, sort of that was wrap it. Up that was episode? the last
1: thing I wanted to chat about.
0: All right. Well I was gonna say before that in general I thought this episode was good. By no means uh, amazing, but it was certainly I certainly can't complain about this either. It was just kind of an information dump, a setup episode, but they did it in the best way because I thought overall that the dialogue in this episode was quite good and quite well written. Like I, it's even the, the the Jeffrey head thing was a little bit odd. I thought it worked. And I thought all the other conversations, especially that Madison was having with uh, Jeremiah and um, the stuff between the brothers, I thought it all worked pretty well. And even though they were just, passing on info to us in a lot of ways, it felt quite natural. So I was quite happy with this episode and I think, uh, it was probably necessary just to get us up to speed and on board with where they are and what's going on. It was very, it was a very functional episode. It was functional. It was utilitarian, had to be done.
1: Yeah. It achieved its goal of giving us background information for next time we'll get some plot applied over this uh, background information
0: well if we certainly hope so if they if they just kind of keep giving us this kind of episode then it will grow tiring quickly but they're not going to do that so i'm not too worried um and in general and you thought it was okay too i mean you were good yeah it was okay all it right. wasn't great but it was okay <laughs> sure wasn't great. wasn't bad no by no means that's all yeah. i'm trying to say it was not bad Uh, all right, let's do, um, because I don't have the regular setup here. I do have a couple of just two, uh, bits of feedback here from listeners before we wrap it up. Uh, I apologize to everyone for not having as much as usual, but, uh, Frank on the internet writes, Daniel lives. Oh yeah. If you go back and watch where he immolates the winery, nothing seemed very satisfying. Visually with how they, uh, nothing seemed very satisfying visually with how they handled that. We see fire, we see him with flames behind him, and we see him kind of standing around it, but from a storytelling point of view, we don't get the smoking gun, or in this case, smoking corpse that showed us (laughs) he's dead. Yeah. So, you know, I wanted to read that because it's a good reminder of sort of what we had last season when that uh, winery or tequila factory or whatever it was went up in flames. You do not see Daniel get burnt up, get killed. He's just there when the fire starts. And I mean, how hard is it to get out of a fire, a building on fire? Really?
1: Uh, well, I guess it (laughs) all depends.
0: I shouldn't say things like that because, (laughs) uh, it can be very difficult to get out of a burning building. I'm sure. And I hope I never have to find out Jesus. Uh, anyways, he's not dead. He's not dead. No, apparently he escaped. Uh, yeah, Uh, not apparently. I'm pretty sure at this point, uh, he, he, he did. Yeah. All right. We got a call really quickly here from, I think it's John in Thunder Bay. Hey, it's John from Thunder Bay. Holy crap. Did you hear Madison say your father was an alcoholic? Now we know what she meant when she said Nick's addiction is in his blood last season. Thank you, John. So remind me, Jason. We know that um, Madison's first husband and Nick and Alicia's father struggled with mental illness and ultimately committed suicide by driving his car into oncoming traffic on the way home from work one day. Um, But now it's revealed that he also struggled with alcoholism and was, you know, had, I suppose, an addictive personality, which leads to, um, well, Informs a little bit of the way uh, uh, Nick is, I guess. Did we not know that before that her Nick's Nick and Alicia's dad was uh, was an alcoholic? I have a feeling we feel. I feel like
1: we did know that, but I'm not sure anymore.
0: Like it might go back to season one, to be honest. Uh, that he struggled with that. Uh, either way, though, um, you know, it does sort of give us some insight into Nick a little bit. I did think it was funny, though, that she brings that up in that Madison brought that up in this episode, that Nick is an addict and he struggles with it because we haven't seen that on the show in a full season, right? Maybe a little bit at the beginning of season two, but not much since then. And he was supposed to be really struggling through the um, withdrawal of the drugs he was using. It's kind of been gone and was on the back burner at this point, I think. So I did think it was interesting that she brought it up, but if anything, it was more of a way to somehow manipulate kind of Jeremiah, maybe, and sort of say, I've got this son who's an addict, so what does that mean? You know? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just trying to say she, I feel like she had an ulterior motive for talking about that at that moment. Whatever it was, I'm not 100% sure, but it wasn't just to genuinely open up and provide some information about her family to this guy who she doesn't quite trust yet.
1: No, she's uh, manipulative. So I I think that uh, she's definitely got some ulterior motives there.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, But, you know, we'll see what happens. All right. So as I said, there was only those two, but thank you to you guys for uh, writing and calling in and, uh, that is, is going to do it. So, so far so good on season three of Fear the Walking Dead. I've been very happy with all three of these episodes, uh, so far, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the rest of the first half of this season. Yep. Me too. It's going to be good. Now that we've set everything up, let's go. Let's go. (laughs) It looks like it's going to be good. Okay. If you'd like to contact us, everyone, um, maybe we'll do a little extra feedback next week if we can. That said, I don't know if I'm going to buy a new iMac by then probably not goddamn. <laughs> uh but we'll, we'll try to do a little bit extra next week if we can so send in your emails and your uh calls and voice messages and stuff like that you can visit talkingdeadpodcast.com and click on send voicemail to record something right into your computer and uh another good way to do that is just use your phone if you have a smartphone it can probably record voice memos do that talk right into your device. And then you can probably just email it straight to us at talking at gmail.com. And that usually creates a pretty good quality sounding uh, audio file. So that is amazing. And of course you can just send email to the email address as well. And we'll, we'll read some of those if we can check us out on Twitter at talking dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the talking dead. A lot of good stuff going on over there. And uh, if you'd like to help support the show, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash thetalkingdead, where you can make a monthly pledge of any amount, and all the money just goes into... the cost of putting on this show like hosting and, and, uh, well, new IMAX maybe. <laughs> <laughs> really? You, you said plural there. That's awesome. No, 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 no. I, <laughs> I don't need more than one. I, I promise. No, no, one for you, one for me. Oh, sorry. One for me, one for Jason. There you go. <laughs> um, but, uh, we really do appreciate, uh, all the listeners and everyone who goes to Patreon to help out patreon.com slash, The Talking Dead, or just use our Amazon links, you know, talkingdeadpodcast.com slash Amazon, click on the country of your choice. And then, uh, whenever you buy stuff at Amazon, a tiny little cut comes back to us and it doesn't cost you an extra cent. So it's fantastic. And we really, really do appreciate it. All right. We'll be back next Monday. I hope when we talk about, uh, season three, episode four of Fear the Walking Dead, looking forward to that. And until then. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening.
1: Ciao.